there's value in every business model. It's, it's still got to be profitable, but there's there's a lot of uh, social value to that, I think. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Berg and Schmidt, your partner for improving animal performance. DSM Furminish, mycotoxins can threaten feed and cattle performance. DSM Furminish offers a portfolio of solutions to help mitigate the impact of mycotoxins in your feed. Fibro Animal Health Corporation, healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Gail Carpenter. I'm the State Dairy Extension Specialist for Iowa State University, and I'm joined today by Paul Windemuller from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Paul, we were chatting a little bit beforehand before we started recording, and we're both Spartans, um, and we were both Spartans at the same time. But uh, somehow never, never got the chance to meet each other on campus. We lived kind of parallel lives there for a while. Um, yeah, but uh, but for our audience and for those who don't know, what does <laughs> uh, what is uh, your background? What is you? Uh, what is your education? How did you? How did you get where you are? Yeah, that's uh, there's there's a lot to that question. I guess I've had a lot of great opportunities over my life, and uh, I've been in the dairy industry now for about 15 years. Um, coming out of college, um, I was went to Michigan State University for agribusiness management. And during that time, I spent one semester abroad in New Zealand studying dairy production. And I uh, didn't grow up on a dairy. Uh, my parents owned a farm equipment dealership. So that's how I got involved in agriculture. And um, always had a passion for farming. And when I was in high school, started working on dairies and decided that's what I wanted to do. So um Went to school for that. And then after I got out of school, ended up not long after graduating, moving back to New Zealand for a year to uh, farm out there. And then upon moving back home from that, uh, my wife and I started our dairy farm here in Coopersville, Michigan, in May of 2014, milking 30 cows in a, a homemade parlor and a uh, freestall barn that we made out of a turkey coop. That was how we started. And now we're... Uh, oh, Wow. 250 cows uh, on uh, four robots. Oh, wow. Your cattle are constantly threatened by the exposure of mycotoxins in feed. Now you can know if mycotoxins are present in your feed and what you should do about it. DSM Furminish offers a range of analytical services to assess the mycotoxin contamination and solutions to combat mycotoxins. Don't let mycotoxins contaminate your performance. Learn more at dsm.com forward slash ANH NA. Um, I was a little disappointed that you said 15 years because you graduated a year before I did. So I makes, guess I feel kind of old now. Um, well, I guess technically it's what, 14. But what was it? So It's getting up there, though. Yeah. It's uh, We're not very young anymore. That's right. So what is it about dairy farming that you fell in love with? Um, you said you, you didn't come from a farm, but you got to work on farms in high school. So what was it about the dairy industry that, that sucked you in? 
I love working with the animals. That was probably the biggest thing. And then also there's always something to do on a dairy farm every day of the year. So I enjoy staying busy and, and doing lots of different things and um, enjoyed that aspect of the dairies uh, that I worked on. Those are probably the two biggest things that drew me in. So, And you've obviously been very successful at it so far. Um, I, what, I was reading through your, your list of things that you wanted to talk about uh, on our call this afternoon or it's afternoon when we're talking. I don't know what time of day it's going to be when people listen. Um, but I got really excited when you talked about developing talent from young people outside of agriculture on the farm. And that's something that we see a lot on a lot of animal science and dairy science programs around the country is we are getting more and more students who do not come from any bag, ag background at all. And in fact, a lot of them come from, um, you know, suburbs. And in Iowa State, we get a lot of folks from suburbs of Chicago, Um or, you know, so very, very urban backgrounds. Um, and I don't, it's, the dairy industry really pulls people in. It's, you know, we bring them here to campus and they take their ANS 110 or 101 or whatever, whatever it is. And they get to go out to all the farms here on campus and, and, and tour the swine farm and the sheep farm and the beef farm and the dairy farm. And, and some, and a lot of them do fall in love with other types of livestock, but, but the dairy cow seems to be, like a lot of people's um, gateway drug <laughs> in the animal agriculture. Um, and, uh, and, and what do you think it is about, what do you think it is about the dairy cow that, that pulls people in? And you said kind of what, what it was that appealed to you. Do you think that's, do you think that's how we're getting people? I think that might be part of it. Um, I guess I was drawn to dairy cows because you can interact with them a lot more. I've dealt with hogs. I've dealt with sheep in New Zealand, deer, um, you know, even beef cattle, it's they're completely different animals than a dairy cow. Um, a dairy cow, you're interacting with usually several times a day, whereas those other animals, you might be only being around them once a day at the most uh, and not really interacting with them. And um, they're, they're a little bit more automated systems. Even with our milking system, automated milking system, we still interact with the cattle, the, the dairy cattle quite a bit on a daily basis. And um, I don't know, they're, they're just completely different type of animal and interaction than what you have with other animal agriculture. I think probably a little bit of romance in that. Right? Yeah. They always, <laughs> and a little bit, maybe I think it's good though. Um, it's always funny to me because you put a group of students in and our commercial, our cows at our university dairy, obviously aren't commercial cows either. Um, but you put a group of students into a pen at the dairy farm and they get like flooded, like the jerseys, especially they'll come and they'll chew on their hair. They'll try to eat their shirts and, um, you put them in with the beef cattle and they scatter. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I think that, I think that students like that. I think that they like, that is kind of a romantic view. Right. And, and we still know that they are livestock, but I don't know. I love, I'd, I'd rather work with dairy cows than beef cows personally. I would any day. No offense to our listeners <laughs> on the beef podcast show. <laughs> Do you think universities, so I, I mentioned a lot of places are are seeing more of these students coming from urban backgrounds, but do you think we're doing a good job as universities catering to those students and helping educate those students? Or do you think that there's room for improvement? Well, I think there's always room for improvement. You know, I was kind of one of those students. I, I came from an agricultural-based background, but it wasn't, I'm not off of a farm. So um, I went through that system as a, as a non-farm kid. And um, it definitely helped me. Um, I, I learned a lot about business and uh, developed a lot of great relationships. I think it's 
really up to the student where they take the relationships. That For me, that was the biggest component. Uh, and you have to be really proactive about um, leveraging those relationships that you gain through your college career and um, really utilizing that into your early career to gain knowledge and uh, opportunities to, to grow and be really proactive about it. So I think um, encouraging students to understand that aspect of, of how proactive they have to be in, in leveraging relationships and how important relationships are later on in their career is something that I learned from good mentors and a few different professors, maybe not in class, but more one-on-one -on -one interactions. So I think that's something maybe universities could do better at um, in general is, is foster more of that relationship. But again, that was 15 years ago since I was there. So maybe it's changed since then. Well, I think there is still, I think a lot of times we do see that attitude that we're still surprised that we have these off-farm students. <laughs> um, and we really shouldn't be. If you look at the if you look at the data, there's fewer and fewer dairies every year, right? So we're going to have less students that come from dairies just kind of by math. Um, plus birth rates are down. We talk about that sometimes too. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a trend that's going to go anywhere. We're going to have fewer farms and, but there's more jobs in agriculture all the time, whether that's nutritionists or, um, you know, you talked about your robotics. Uh, there's going to be, I think, a lot more jobs in the data science area and the precision technology area. Um, and there's definitely a growing gap when it comes to needing these people to be um, doing these jobs. And we have a smaller pool to pull from if we're just focusing on students that come from ag backgrounds. So, um, or animal, animal backgrounds. So I think it's, I think it's something that we have to, stay stay on top of and make sure we can't take it for granted anymore that we're just going to have um farm kids that are you know grew up on a dairy grew up milking cows and know what's going on there so right i think a, another important aspect for universities moving forward is um having better uh more established relationships with the farms that are left to foster some opportunity for those uh kids mm -hmm. that are coming in that don't have the experience but have the excitement about wanting a career in agriculture so they can get some of that experience on farm. So those relationships need to be, uh, be there for them to have those opportunities to have the hands-on experience. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, do you think it's hard to convince dairy producers sometimes of the value of these non-traditional students or what I know you, you obviously came from a little bit of a non-traditional background, so you might not have the same bias, but do you see biases uh, against students from dairy backgrounds and other dairy producers? I guess I'm not in, in other people's businesses enough um, at that level of the human resources level to That's see, fair. <laughs> see have, give a reasonable answer to that. But for me, uh, one of our missions for our farm when we started it was to foster opportunities for uh, people outside of agriculture to come in. And we've had, I believe, eight different uh, individuals come through our farm that were from non-farm backgrounds that um, they we trained them up here they spent time learning here and helped them either get a career in agriculture or they went to Michigan State or another agricultural university for an agricultural degree or got a job in in agriculture after our farm so that was pretty neat to see that we're, we're trying to build that legacy as part of our farm story uh, to, to foster those opportunities. And I guess I'll answer my own question there too. Um, <laughs> that I think when I've been taught, when I talk to dairy producers and talk to them about what we're seeing with our um, 
with our current demographics. I think a lot of times they're surprised, but I don't necessarily think it discourages them from wanting to interact with our students. So we have our dairy challenge team. We practice at farms around the state. I think they, these farms really love having that chance to get to know, um, get to know these students. And I think a lot of times they, they're, they're surprised and, um, have maybe heard people talk about, you know, there's not as many students from farm backgrounds. And then when they see it, they're like, Oh yeah, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, the other thing that always surprises them, especially when I pull up with a 15 passenger van and unload a full group of students is how many women are in um, dairy and animal science programs now. Um, and it's definitely something, a huge shift that I've seen in, uh, in our programs is that we are, I think we are close to 80% women um, at Iowa state and most places I talk to most other universities are in a pretty similar spot. So that's the breakdown of our farm employees too. So. <laughs> Yep. Yep. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, uh, you know, regardless of a, of a student's gender, they have a lot to bring to the table. Um, and it, it kind of flies in the face a lot of times with what we traditionally think of as a farmer, right? Um, you know, you think of some dude in suspenders or, or bibs or whatever. And uh, I think that, that we're seeing a lot more of that, that female face in, in the industry as well. Um, and they bring, they bring their own skill sets to the table. And so it's really fun for me to kind of work with, with students of all types and all different backgrounds. And I love the perspective that students who don't grow up on a farm bring. Has that been your experience with your, with your students that you've worked with as well? Yeah. And and just what fascinates them or what. I think a lot of times they don't take anything for granted. Right. Right. Yeah. So they're, I think they're always, they make me think about, well, why do we do things this way? (laughs) Is that, but has that also been your experience? Yeah, definitely. Every pretty much everyone that's come through here that's not off a of farm is really. I mean, even even the ones that have uh, worked for me that have been off a of farm, everyone's got a unique perspective to bring. Um, you just got to figure out how to how to uh, mine it out of them or, or have them bring that to you. You got to be open to receiving that, so they are willing to share it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um... I love getting mixed teams together, students who came from a dairy and who students who didn't come from a dairy. Students who came from a dairy, they have that underlying understanding, right? That kind of baseline understanding. And then the students who didn't come from a dairy are always asking why. And I think that's just as important. The understanding your gap in knowledge is just as important sometimes as the knowledge itself. Right. So what advice would you give to a student who was, you talked about the importance of relationships and, and if you, you're thinking about students or, or early career folks who um, maybe didn't come from a dairy but are wanting to either take over a dairy or start their own dairy or get involved somehow, what advice do you give them about first steps to take? Um, I would say a big one for me was finding a mentor, find somebody that's that's um, already further down the road than, than you. Um, maybe not too terrible far, much further down the road, but somebody that's further down the road than you that's got experience that's willing to help you and willing to give you opportunity. Um, for me, in my career, I had different professors along the way that, that did that for me, different neighboring farms uh, from where I grew up that were willing to give me an opportunity. And then um, I just relentlessly asked them the questions and asked to do more. And and um, for me, that, that really help grow uh, my knowledge and, and level of success in the industry. And one, one of the first jobs that I had out of college, 
Um, I tell everyone I got my master's degree uh, when I took my first uh, job uh, in the dairy industry because I was blessed to be able to go around and talk to the most successful farmers in the Midwest. That was part of my job. And uh, I built a lot of great relationships that way and got to know a lot of people in the industry and, and um, the ones that really had success and see also the ones that, that weren't doing a good job. Why weren't they successful? And so I got to see both sides of it, uh, but learn from some really great people. And I think that for me, the mentorship and, and the relationships um, is what helped me develop in my career the, the most. So what makes a good mentor? That's a good question. Um, it's the, yeah, it's, a, it's just a small one too, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> should I be an easy one. Yeah. willing to uh, ask you the tough questions. Um, and that's not just going to talk at you, but really get you to think where you want to go um, and why. And then what skills are uh, your competitive advantage that you can take take advantage of and, and run with and build on. Um, and then somebody that's available, obviously they need to be available in, in order to spend some time with you. And, and definitely somebody that's got uh, a successful track record. Those are probably the, the biggest things that I would look for in a mentor myself. So I'll ask you the flip side of that question too. If you had, if we have dairy producers or industry professionals that are listening to this podcast and they want to know how to get, uh, how to get connected with, with students or um, with early career professionals who may not have the same uh, dairy background, how would you, what, what advice would you give those groups? So one thing we do on our farm a lot is have farm tours, uh, especially with the FFA classes in our area. Like you said, a lot of those kids didn't come off or sorry, students didn't come off of a farm. Um, So they're, that might be their first time on a dairy farm. And a lot of them are really interested. I probably have two or three students after every tour of 20 or 30 that ask me if I have an open position uh, for a job after those tours. So that's been a great way for us to uh, get employees. And probably the other thing would be, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're well known in your community and you do a good job um, and you interact with your community, you're, you're involved as a farm, um, your employees are involved in the community. Just by word of mouth, uh, anyone that's interested in that type of a role or that type of an opportunity is going to come to you. So a good name is worth a lot too. Yeah. The importance of a good reputation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in your, in your questionnaire that you filled out beforehand was being uh, benefits, being active in the industry off the farm. And you've kind of alluded to a little bit of that just now. What, what sorts of things are you plugged into? What do you, what, what fills your cup outside of the farm? I love going to uh, conferences, whether that be um, a dairy conference or a business conference, or just a, like I was at a a mastermind event um, last week, different, things to stimulate discussion and stimulate ideas. For me, that's really huge. Uh, that's, I get a lot of my ideas going to events that aren't even dairy related and then bring those back to the farm and, and develop my business based off those things. Um, and then also the camaraderie in the industry. That's a pretty small industry. So uh, it's pretty easy to get to know quite a few of the, the players and who's doing uh, big things in the industry. So I like to go to a lot of uh, conferences. I also am active in our co-op. I'm a member of Dairy Farmers of America, and I'm on the uh, the Midwest or Mideast Area Council for that. 
And um, I believe that it's important to, to be involved in any business that I'm a part of. So I'm an owner of DFA. So I want to be involved in that business and help make decisions for it. So very cool. So and, and you dairy farm. So it sounds like you have a full time outside the farm and full time and a half probably on the farm. So That's what my wife would say, how much yeah. do you sleep a night? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're about two or three hours of sleep every night and the rest is just just doing that stuff. <laughs> right, right. Pretty much. So. And we got six kids, too. So yeah. that's, uh, they, they, they need some attention. Oh, geez. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things you talked about as we were getting started is some of your international experience, um, specifically in New Zealand. Yep. What did you bring back from that? Um, I'm always talking to students about the value of, you know, going and experiencing the industry in different places. What what did you learn from New Zealand that you brought back now? Boy, um, well, first of all, I just loved being there. It was a, such a beautiful place to farm and, and um, just go hiking every weekend and enjoy the mountains and then go to the beach. And so that's a really cool place to live. Um, but from a from a business standpoint, that's really where my whole business model for my farm came from, uh, which is uh, focusing on asset turnover. So I don't have a lot of assets. We started with almost nothing when we started our farm in 2014. And so we had to uh, really focus our capital and and build revenue very quickly in order to grow. And I learned uh, I learned how to be very efficient with assets on the farms that I worked at in New Zealand and the mentors that I had out there. And um, just uh, look at things very differently from a business perspective than what I was used to seeing here in the U.S. on the on the farms that I had worked on. And it was very business oriented. Um, they they still loved to farm, but it was their farms were businesses and they treated them that way. Uh, whereas some of the farms that I had worked for previously to that in the U.S. were were farming and oh yeah, once once a year when the tax man calls, we remember it's a business. So I think that that's definitely changed in the industry in the U.S. But at that time, that's that's kind of how it felt. Yeah, with milk prices the way they are, it's really hard to still have that mentality yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah, it has to be a business if you're gonna if you're gonna stay competitive. Right. So, what did that process look like? You said you started you started with your with your homemade uh, parlor and your and your turkey coop, and now you're milking on robots. And it's been nine years since you since you broke ground. Is that right? Did I do that math right? Yeah, nine and a half years since we started. Uh, we took our first load, and then uh, about a year after we started milking, we built our first freestall barn, and then. Um, the next year after that, we added onto that barn. And the next year after that, we added robots. And then the next year after that, we added another barn with another robot. So that was kind of our growth progression over that time. So were robots always in the plan for you then? They were my 10-year goal um, after the first 12 months of dairy farming. And we put them in, I think it was 16 months later. Oh, wow. Quick decision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the homemade parlor got old pretty quick then, eh? Yes, it did. Yeah, it was definitely, we were milking uh, 220 cows through it and it was definitely not built for that. So. Oh, wow. And was it just you and your wife or did you have, did you have employees milking at the time? We did have employees. Yep. Oh, that's, that's helpful. Still get to take some vacations then. Yep. And then what's next? What are you, uh, where are you growing from here? Or are you in a, in a place that you're happy now? Farm wise, I am always trying to get better. Um, 
that doesn't necessarily mean adding cows. I think for a long time, especially in Michigan, for probably a decade, it was if you're going to improve your business, it always meant more cows, right? Um, and I think that mentality has shifted in Michigan. Uh, and it also, I've shifted that mindset myself is I want to uh, be more profitable every year. That's how I'm going to grow. So we, we look at different uh, technology that we can add. Uh, we look at um, different management practices that we can uh, put in place, improving the genetics of the herd, those type of things we're really focusing in on a lot more now rather than just adding numbers. Um, so we're doing that internally on our farm. Um, the other thing that I'm, I, I really enjoy, obviously, uh, being involved with, with some of the industry stuff. So uh, just expanding uh, my own personal self that way. But uh, going to be starting a podcast here myself um, at the beginning of January. And um, really excited about that. All right. And, and some of the opportunities around that, it's going to be based off of uh, doing some global traveling in, and investigating some things uh, internationally in agriculture. So that's kind of my next big project that I'm uh, excited cool. to work on. And, and I really like having the opportunity to do different things. Um, I enjoy our farm, but I also enjoy uh, doing things that involve farming outside of our own farm. So, well, you missed your chance. So I'll give you a chance again. You have to plug your podcast. Does it have a name yet? You have to, you, this is your chance to promote it. So you can, you can check out my, um, my LinkedIn profile. I'll post it up there. We're going to be launching it the 1st of January and we're starting recordings now um, that we'll be releasing the beginning of January. So you can check out my social media feeds and uh, awesome. we'll be posting the, the name of that up there. So. And maybe by the time this episode releases, we'll have a name and you can put it in the show notes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think is next for the industry then? So we talked about what's next for you. Where's the, what, what's the next big challenge that the dairy industry has to overcome? Boy, that's a really loaded question. I'm just throwing you softballs today. <laughs> yeah. The next big, big thing for the industry. I think we have to figure out, um, are we going to end up like the hog industry, the poultry industry, or are we going to stay unique and have farms of all sizes with a lot of different business models that can be successful and sustainable? And I think we're, we're at that inflection point where it's, it's going to go one way or the other very soon, uh, which is a little scary for somebody that's not one of the top 10 producers in the country. But I mm -hmm. do feel like dairy is, is unique. And that's why it hasn't done that yet. I mean, you look at hogs and poultry did that, what, the, the 80s and early 90s. So it's been 30 to 40 years ago that those industry or those sectors have done that. And, and dairy is still uh, very diversified mm -hmm. in, in size and business model. So that's, I think, one of the big challenges for the industry to figure out uh, what that looks like and, and what does the consumer want and what does that mean for food security as well? Yeah. That's a great point. What does that mean for food security? I, my thought is, is you always have to be profitable, right? If you're going to stay in business, you have to be profitable. Right. But there's ways to be profitable without mm -hmm. having to milk 10,000 cows or 100,000 cows like we're starting to see now. And um, if, if you have areas of, of the country that have a 100,000 cow farm here and a 100,000 cow farm there and 
what what happens if you have a natural disaster or a disease outbreak or something like that on that one farm that is five percent or ten percent of your national herd um, especially in in only most of that is is out west right so a lot of the demand is east right so how do we how do we balance that um, as well even not food security but just just supply chain there's a there's a lot of uh, yeah I think there's a lot of value in having um, farms scattered across the country and and with different business models whether they be you know corral style or pre-stall barns or tunnel vent cross vent barns um, yeah there's there's value in every business model is it's still got to be profitable but there's there's a lot of uh, social value to that I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's something we have in Iowa and I know in Michigan, too. We we have a lot of internal diversity and in what right. across the state, what your dairies look like. Um, and I always say, you know, there's there's room for all sizes, right? It's you, you know, we have the we have the large farms, but the small farms, too, are, are contributing a lot to our state's economy. And I know it's the same for Michigan as well. Right. Um, and yeah, I think the social capital is another important thing too. And I think that is part of what makes dairy special is that, yeah. um, you know, you know, your local farmer, they're involved in your community and your church and, right. um, people can put a face with the name. The hard part is trying to quantify that, right? Right. Yeah. And you're the economist. So, um, I'm just an animal scientist. I <laughs> I'll defer to you on the answer to that. I'm a farmer that likes to play with numbers. I'm not quite the economist, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had the ABM major, so <laughs> I uh, I took some of those classes and promptly forgot all of them. So <laughs> fair enough. I prefer the biology space, but it's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We're sciencing the global food challenge. Adiseo USA, producers of Smartamine M and MilkPay.com. Adiseo Exelite, a novel product for management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. SmaxTech, get insights from inside your cows with SmaxTech for higher herd health and profitability. R Yeast 40, ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Typical fresh cow incidence of clinical hypocalcemia is 3 to 6%, while subclinical hypocalcemia affects 50% or more mature cows. Based on cutting-edge research, Exelete offers a new approach that is build effective and the ZDUs. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. So the first question we ask all of our guests is, what is your favorite dairy-related book or resource? My favorite dairy-related resource, and you might want to plug your ears because uh, it's not a university resource. It's It was put out by Dairy, dairy New Zealand. So it's not even a U.S. resource, but oh. uh, Dairy New Zealand is kind of like a checkoff style uh, program that they have in the dairy industry. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're really into developing uh, young people and employees in the dairy industry. And when I was there, I soaked up every resource they had and, and they, they put out a lot of good stuff. Um, a lot of technical things, uh, really, um, sensible 
um, hands-on type of uh, resources. And um, I really enjoyed having access to that while I was there. Learned a lot through that. So that I have also used Dairy New Zealand resources okay, as well. Good, so good. I'm not offended. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Especially their business stuff is really good, I thought. Okay. I'll have to, it's been a while since I've revisited that. So I'm going to have to have to go back and, and check it out again. Our second question is what is your favorite non-dairy related book or resource? And you said you read six books a month. Um, and so, <laughs> so you've got a lot of options to pick from, but uh, what did we land on? Yeah, I, I love uh, history and especially autobiographies of people throughout history. But um, one non-autobiography or history book that I really enjoyed lately. I probably read it four times now. It's called Die With Zero. And it'd be really interesting to see the listener's perspective on their thoughts after reading that book. So it uh, is a concept where basically um, you figure out uh, how much money uh, you need to really do what you want to do in life and also how you want to impact others in your life. Uh, financially, and then putting a plan together to do that to basically, at the end, the concept is you don't have any money left over by the time you're dead. So it's an interesting Mm. uh, format to transition wealth and to make an impact uh, while you're alive. So I got a lot out of that book and and have changed some things that I've been doing financially uh, with my personal finances because of it. And uh, found it really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I when you said it was a succession planning book, I did zone out for a little bit, but <laughs> but it sounds like it, even somebody like me might think it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's not just for farmers for sure. It's a non-farmer. Okay, all right, good. So our last question that we ask, uh, and you talked about this a little bit during our interview, but our last question that we ask is, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those that are not successful? Yeah, I, I think I had mentioned a lot about relationships. Um, when we talked earlier, I think the other thing that really helped me be successful was figuring out what type of business model I was going to run for my farm and then um, really stick to that. And a lot of other farmers that I've seen that have done a a good job financially uh, also have done that. Um, I've also seen plenty of farmers that thought they're following one business model, and then you could see by their decisions and and how they were spending their money that uh, they were trying to have um, run multiple different business models and it it wasn't working. So I think really understanding what you're trying to do with your business is a very important aspect to to make, uh, to stand back and be able to have a bigger look at your business to make good decisions. Great words to live by. All right, Paul, it's been great chatting with you today. Before I let you go, though, um, is there anywhere that people, you mentioned your LinkedIn, is there anywhere that people should go to stay in touch with what you're working on when your new podcast comes out, kind of stay uh, stay abreast of what you're, what you're doing? Yeah, LinkedIn, a uh, little active on Facebook. And then we have an Instagram account for our farm. It's Dream Wins Dairy. And you're going to have to spell your last name for people who are going to be looking you up on LinkedIn. So I know it'll be in the show notes, but... W-I-N-D-E-M-U-L-L-E-R. Windemuller. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been really great getting to know you um, now that we finally met and not just crossing crossing in the night. So um, it was great to have an opportunity to chat and uh, wish you all the best. 
All right. Thank you so much. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.